Look at the person sitting next to you and say, you made it. Time changed Sunday and everything, you made it. You look tired, but you made it. I was tired when I walked in, but I'm not tired now. Didn't these guys do an incredible job? So out in our foyer, um, you'll see our cross out there, and it's covered, that's, this was the first week, there's hundreds and hundreds of names on that cross, and what we're doing is we're just writing the first name of someone that we know and love, someone we care about, lives in this area in northern Colorado, and we're putting their first name on the cross, and we're just going to, all we're doing is we're praying for them. Somebody prayed and got you in church, and so we're going to continue, and we're going to keep paying that forward and pray for others who are far from God. And so if you haven't done that yet, please just go out there. Just write their first name. We don't want their address or phone number, their Instagram, email, right? Uh, we don't wanna, we're not trying to shame anyone or call anyone out because at some day, at some point, your name was on the cross like that, right? So was mine. And so uh, we're just, I want to pray for them right now. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every name on that cross. You know them. You know their stories. You know their situations even better than they do. And I pray, Lord, that you would wrap your arms around them. You would remind them that you love them that you care about them, you have a plan for them, that you're not angry with them, you haven't turned your back on them, you haven't forgotten them. Lord, bring them somehow, some way to the foot of the cross. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in week three of, of our series, uh, Famous Last Words, and we're going to talk about a guy named John the Apostle. And he's an interesting guy. Now there are two Johns in the Bible that are uh, well known, and one is John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin. He was the forerunner of Jesus, and he... He kind of preached, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, and then he was killed by Herod for uh, calling him out on his sin. And so that that saying, uh, "Bring his head on a silver platter," that's that actually come, that actually happened to John the Baptist. But this is the other John. This is John the Apostle. Wrote the book of John. Wrote the book uh, First, Second, and Third John. And John was an interesting guy because when Jesus called him, so the way it worked was Jesus was a rabbi or a spiritual teacher. And he would go out, and what rabbis would do is they would interview uh, potential disciples who were at this time, when they were interviewing them, uh, 13, maybe 14 years old. And so they would interview these young guys. When Jesus is actually in the temple debating with temple scholars when he's 12 years old, some Bible scholars believe that they were interviewing him, and then they were so blown away, they brought the, the chief teachers and the head teachers because they were so blown away by Jesus. But anyway, so this was a, a common process. Now, when, when Bible scholars look at Jesus' disciples, they generally agree that these guys had all either been rejected or had no interest in being disciples. And so this was like the bad news bears of disciples. You know what I mean? Like they were, they were so they'd either been rejected or turned it down. And so these guys are all 12, 13, 14 years old when Jesus chooses them. Now, we know this is also true because when Jesus uh, tells Peter Peter comes and says, hey, we got to pay our taxes. The tax he was talking about is the tax that was levied on every man 20 years old and older. All right, that was something the Romans did. And so Jesus says, hey, go catch a fish. He catches a fish. There's two coins in it. He says, use those two coins to go pay the tax. The reason there was only two coins is because only two of them were over 20, Jesus and Peter. He was married, so he was older. All the rest of the guys were like teenagers. So John the Apostle, when he calls him, Peter's generally regarded as the oldest, and it's accepted that John was the youngest. So John was probably 14 years old when Jesus first called him. And when Jesus is crucified, John is about 17. So with that picture in mind of this young, basically teenage boy still, uh, watching Jesus at the cross. Now, to John's credit, he's the only disciple that showed up at the cross. Everybody else ran, took off. 
And so this is what happens now that John is at the cross. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. Now let me stop real quick. The person that wrote this book is John. The person who wrote, the person he's talking about, the disciple who he loved, is also John. So it's almost like saying, when Jesus saw his favorite disciple, that's kind of what he's doing, all right? I think it's funny. Uh, we lose a little bit of the translation. I'm sure the other guys didn't think it was funny, all right? But anyway, but he refers to himself several times as the disciple who Jesus loved, okay? So it's like telling your sister, dad loves me more, all right? That's kind of what he's doing, all right? When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, John, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So basically, Jesus is telling John, all right, I'm dying. From now on, I want you to take care of my mom. Of all the things that Jesus could have done in his last words, he, he chooses to call out manhood in John. He says, John, you're a man now. It's your responsibility now. I see you as a man. I want you to take care of my mom. So he, he chooses to illustrate and describe what it means to be a man as he's on the cross giving his life. And so I want to talk this morning about what it means to be a man, what the Bible says about being a man. Now, if you're the spiritual leader in your home, a lot of this is going to apply to you, but I really want to talk to men. When I speak to groups that are just men, one of my favorite things to ask uh, is, is this. I ask, when did you know that you were a man? Have you ever thought about that? Like, no, we don't have any rites of passage in the United States that tell you now you're a man. I mean, you turn 18, now you can buy lottery tickets, I guess you're a man, right? But there's really no rite of passage. I can, in Mexico, we have quinceañeras when a girl's 15, she uh, is now a woman, right? But there's not, I've never been to or performed a quinceañero. You know what I mean? This kid in a tux, he's got a doll of himself. Like, we've never done that, okay? And probably for good reason, but, but there's really no markers. or So, so I want to talk about, I want to look at what the Bible says a man is, and we're going to start there, all right? So the first thing, a man is a protector. Now, before I say anything else, I want you to hear me. This world is broken, and there are some things we can't protect our kids from. There's just some things that happen. But generally speaking, he's the lion looking out over his pride. He's watching. He's standing on a cliff. Corinthians says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. What does this look like today? It looks like this. Where are you? What are you doing? Who are you with? Why did you turn location services off on your phone? You better turn location services back on your phone. As a matter of fact, your location better be home in 15 minutes. Right? That's what it looks like today. Give me your phone. Let me, let me look at your Snapchat. Why is this lady liking your Instagram picture? She's 20 years old, bud. You got no business being liked by her. Let me message her. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go find her and tell her to leave my baby boy alone. Right? It's programmed into a man to protect. Because God has given me this. This is mine, and so I'm going to protect it. He's out looking at the hyenas, saying, make a move. Come on, try it. Let's see what happens, right? His job is to block the wind. A man's job is to protect their family 
from stuff that they never even realize is happening because he's the one blocking the wind. They never realize that he's protecting them from stress by carrying it himself. They have no idea how much stress he's under because he's blocking the wind. He carries the weight of the wind himself. Some of the things that he's blocking and carrying, they'll never know about because he's carrying it himself. If, my, if it was raining and windy and my wife and kids stood behind me, they would not get as wet as me because I'm blocking the wind and I'm taking it. And also, I'm big, right? But they would be, they would, they're not going to get as wet as me because my job is protector. They're never going to feel the full force of our financial challenges. Your kids should not stress out about your bills because that's your job to block the wind. Your kids should not stress out about family drama. It's your job to block the wind. They shouldn't worry about your stress at work. It's your job to block the wind. One of the hardest things about being a protector, one of the hardest things about being a man who protects is most of the stuff that you deal with, no one will ever know about until you're gone. I like it. I heard it said, a good man's full worth isn't realized until he's gone. That's when they say, I had no idea that he was dealing with all of these things, that he was carrying all these things because he took it on in silence. He protected his family with no fanfare, no complaining, no whining. I got to be honest with you. Some of the men that I've been around, not here, but other places, they complain more than women. It's so hard. I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Nobody's helping me. I can't make it. I can't do this. I'm going home to my mama. And she says, come here, baby. Come here, Hito. Come. That woman, she doesn't appreciate you. Appreciate what? That he's doing what he's supposed to be doing? That he's taking the hits because he's supposed to be protecting his family? He promised to do that. Let him be a man and let him do it. It's your job to take the punches. When you stood at an altar, you said, I promise to love, honor, and protect. And this is what protecting is. It's blocking the wind. It's taking the hits. I think when a grown man is crying because he's made a mistake, the worst thing you can do is come in and say, come here, baby. Come to mama. You want some teta? You need some chichi hito? You want some booby? They still work, right? Some of those boobies stretch 2,000 miles because they won't get off of them. <laughs> if he fails, let him cry. Let him feel it. When, when a little boy falls, I'm, I'm not the one that says, oh, come on, let's get... No, 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 let him cry. Let him feel it. Let him feel the sting of his bad decision. Because next time, he's not going to do it. But if all we do is rescue our sons, then they're never going to figure out what it feels like. There, there is great, incredible satisfaction and growth that happens when a man has been knocked to his knees and then he stands back up, pulls himself up like a man and says, okay, let's go again. I'm ready for round two. <laughs> Last night, I had this awesome opportunity. I got invited to be the ring announcer at a professional boxing match. So there, was eight, eight, there were eight fights and I was the guy in the ring like, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, please. And I was like, it was so fun fighting out of the red corner. It was so fun. But Diane and I, so, so since I was a ring announcer, uh, we, we sat right on the ring. There was probably, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 people or something like that. And we're sitting right on the ring. And so it's like we had a little table and then the ring. And they're, they're fighting right there. 
And it was kind of a surreal thing because we were so close. At one point, one of them got punched and his sweat went right on me. And I know most of you would be like, ugh. I was like, yes, like it was so awesome. At another point, I looked down at the table and there was blood splattered all over the table. And Diane was like, ugh. And I was all, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it was weird because these two guys have put everything into this. This is their dream. I mean, they are, this, for many of them, it was their pro debut. And so this was what they've been working on for years since they were kids, training and, and running and dieting when everybody else was eating and, and being, you know, this was their time to shine. And they're in there fighting for their lives. And there's a thousand people around cheering for them, screaming, but nobody could help them. They had to figure it out for themselves. I saw a guy walking in and as he's walking to the ring, he kissed his girlfriend and then he kissed his mom, right? Two people that love him the most, but nobody could help him in that moment. And for sometimes, nobody should help him. Let him fight. Because you're not alone. Jesus is in the ring with you. Second thing, he should be a provider. This is a lion and a warthog, and I know that Disney told you that they're best friends. But that is not true. The other picture I found, he had him in his mouth, but I thought that grossed you out, so I just thought I'd show you this, right? He's hunting him, he's about, he's about to eat him and, and take him to his family. Now, when we think of a man providing, we usually think of money, and Thessalonians speaks very directly to this. Paul says, don't you remember the rule we had when we lived with you? If you don't work, you don't eat. In other words, if he's not bringing any in, he shouldn't be taking any out. Now, I know there's times when, when you know, uh, she's making more, when you guys are a team. I get all that. And maybe he's in school or he's, you know, he's, but there's no reason that he shouldn't be pulling his weight somehow in the household because he should be a provider. And I'm not talking about the guy who can't work. If you're disabled, that's different. I'm talking about the guy who won't work right? Who's sitting on the couch playing video games and eating ramen noodles all day long while someone else is taking care of him. That's not what God's plan for a man is. He wants him to be a provider. And he provides more than just money. He provides wisdom. He provides insight. He provides experience. Young people, listen to me. Your parents have been you, but you've never been them. They know more than you. And I know that's hard to hear, and you know, oh, they're so dumb, they don't know anything, they don't know how to TikTok. Listen, you can't even wipe yourself right, and you think that you should be in charge, all right? <laughs> I'm in love with him, you don't understand, he, his mom washes his chonas still, you're not ready, okay? <laughs> Your parents know more than you. And so that's what the fa a father does, he provides insight and wisdom and life experience. He also provides friendship, he gives, he provides, he adds to your life. One of the coolest things about being a parent is now having grown kids and we're friends. And that's really been an interesting experience. But that's what a father does. He provides. He should be a giver. He should be generous. If he's cheap, don't date him. I don't care if he's fine. I don't care if he has a nice pickup. I don't care if he has thick hair on top, okay? Don't date him. Because if he's stingy when you're dating, he's going to be stingy when you're married. He's going to be stingy with your kids. He's going to be stingy with your family. He's going to be stingy with compliments. He's going to be stingy with his time. So if he's a keeper, don't take him. He should be a giver. The Bible says one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And men are made in the image of God. 
Therefore, it is in the DNA of a man to be a provider, right? He should be a giver. If you look at the, the body of a man and the body of a woman, a man is designed to be a giver and a woman is designed to be a receiver. And that gives us a little bit of insight into what God wants for us. If you don't understand that, I have a picture. I'm just kidding. Right? I don't. <laughs> but our biology gives us insight into how God wants us to live our lives. Right? So he should be a provider. Third, he should be a promoter. It's our job as parents to raise our kids up one level further than we ever were. My dad and my mom were migrant field workers. They raised our family up two or three levels. And I never understood how hard that was until I was a father trying to do the same thing. Right? They fought to get us a better life. And that's our job. We pick them up one level and we say, do you see further than me? And they say, yes. I say, okay, now go get that. Right? Take it up a notch. Change the direction of our family. It's your turn now to carry the mantle. And this isn't a new idea. We see it in the book of Mark. So Jesus is with his best friends, Peter, James, and John, and they go up on this mountain, and uh, this is what happens. Jesus put, took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he became transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there he appeared before them, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. So can you imagine this moment? Jesus is just there, normal Jesus, and then all of a sudden you see him as he really is in heaven, and then Elijah and Moses are talking to him. The disciples obviously freak out, understandably freak out, and then this is what happens. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. If the God of the universe thought it was important to promote his own son. How much more should we be promoting and lifting and elevating our own kids? And God even gives us a pattern on how to do this. He starts out by saying, this is my son. In other words, he gives him his position. You're my son. There's nothing you'll ever do that will change that, right? You are right here. You are part of me. And he says, I love you. It's important that you tell your kids, you love them. I know, they, I, I show them, I do other ways. Whatever your language is, sometimes you've got to look them in the eye and say, you know I love you, right? Do you know that I love you? That I would give you my heart out of my chest if, if you needed it? I love you. And then he promotes him. He, show, he, he gives him his place, he affirms him, and then he promotes him. And God is inviting us to do the same. It, it, the fight is not over you. The fight's not about you. If you're going to end up jacked up, you're jacked up by now, you're probably going to be jacked up, but the fight is really about your kids, right? No, I'm just kidding. God can change. But, but the fight is really over your kids. The enemy wants those kids because he wants to stop what's happening in you from happening in them and continuing generation to generation to generation. This is the fight. Number four, he's a priest. First Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. The job of the priest in the Bible was to stand between the people and God and offer sacrifices for them and make sure that God, uh, that they had a, a good standing with God. He would talk to God on their behalf, right? 
So when I was in ninth grade, I sat in a school assembly at my high school, Fort Lipton High School, Go Blue Devils. That was the pause for the applause for Fort Lipton. Anyway. So I'm at my high school in ninth grade, and we had a motivational speaker came to the school. And I remember thinking, that's what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm supposed to speak. It was 10 years before I finally got the opportunity. So I was 23, 24 years old, and uh, I got invited to speak at Loveland High School. I was going to go speak to the student body. And so I was like living my dream. I mean, this was like the pinnacle of my young you know, career. And I was, I was excited. I was be able to finally do this. And uh, this was, I'll tell you how long ago this was. I got a page on my pager, right? So it was, it was a while back, right? You guys, all, you guys ever wear pagers? I used to wear it right here. Some of you, like me, had to wear it over here because the stomach. Anyway, all right. So, um, so I get a page. My son Caleb at that time was four years old, and he would get femoral seizures, where his, he would get a fever, and it would spike really fast and really hard, and he would have a seizure, and he'd had a couple of them. And I called the numbers, Diane, and, and I called her. She's, she's crying, and she says, it's Caleb. He had another seizure, and it won't stop. They're taking him to the hospital right now. Immediately, I called that place. I said, I can't come. I'm sorry. I know we've been planning this. I know, and like in my heart, I'm like, that was my dream, right? But I got something more important to deal with right now, right? So parents, your highest priority is those kids, right? It, 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 professional achievement, all that other stuff means nothing if they don't come out okay. So let's focus our best attention on them. So I get to the hospital, and uh, it, was, it was when the hospital, the, the ER was still kind of on the south side of the hospital. I walk in, I said, I'm here for Caleb Flores. They said, he's not here yet, he's on his way. Okay, so I walk outside, and I'm waiting for an ambulance to drive up. And I see a helicopter. It's black for life. And I said, no way, no way. My heart dropped, my chest, helicopter landed. They pull out the gurney, and there's my little four-year-old, 40-pound son unconscious on the gurney. Man, my heart dropped. And they start running. They're running past me. They're running him into the, into the ER. And uh, so I turn around. I'm following them. And then they, they took him in, and the security guard stopped me. He says, sir, you can't come in here. I said, that's my son. I need to get in there. He says, you can't come in. I said, dude, I'm from Fort Lupton, and I'm a Chicano. And if you don't let me in there, you're not ready for what's about to happen next. I'm not proud of that moment, but that's what happened. I had only been a Christian about a year, okay? And he goes, you can go ahead. <laughs> if you're here, man, I'm sorry. Anyway, um, and I walked back there. And you know what my son needed at that moment? He needed a priest. He needed someone to stand between him and God. And I put my hand on him, and I said, Lord, this is my son. I need you to do something for him. Sometimes the most important thing you can do for your kid is stand between them and God and pray for them. Put your hand on them. I don't care if they're embarrassed. I don't think they're going to like it. Because this is number one, right? We've got to make sure our kids make it to eternity with Jesus. Nothing else is going to come close. In a thousand years, I don't care what kind of car they drove. I don't care if they had the best stuff. I don't care if they had the coolest shoes. If they're not in heaven, none of that matters. Zero. But if we struggle and if we fight and if we eat ramen noodles every night, but my kids make it to heaven, man, we won. And that's the same thing for you. Sometimes you need to be their priest. Last thing. It's prophet. So in the Bible, there's a woman named Rachel, and uh, she 
She's giving birth to a baby. Her husband's name is Jacob. Now, Jacob, uh, if you know his story, he was, the Bible says his name, Jacob, meant liar or trickster, deceiver. So he was kind of like this sleazy guy that, that uh, hustled his brother out of his birthright. He was, he was kind of a, he was not a good guy. And everywhere he went, when people said his name, they were saying, hey, look, here comes the liar. Like, that's what his, that was his, his reputation. That was him. So they would say, oh, here comes liar. Here comes liar. Watch out for that guy. Here comes liar. Right? That was, his, that was Jacob's identity. And now he's having a son. His wife, Rachel, is having a son. And this is what the Bible says. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she passes away during childbirth, she named her son Benoni. Benoni means son of my trouble or son of my pain. So she almost curses him as she's dying, right? She curses him because, we've got, parents, we've got to be careful that we don't pass down our brokenness and scar our kids with our wounds as we're raising them. It's that, that generational stuff. We've got to take the position this far and no farther. I am stopping all of that generational crap right here and right now, and my kids are not going to be raised the same way I was raised because Jesus changes everything. So she, she names him Benoni, son of my trouble or son of my pain. And the, the nursemaid, imagine this horrible scene where she just watched her boss, her, her, her lady, uh, pass away. Now she's got the baby, and she takes the baby to Jacob, who knows the power of a name. And God has now changed his name to Israel. So look what Jacob does. He named her son Benoni, but his father named him Benjamin. So his name was son of my trouble. Benjamin means son of my right hand or son of my strong hand. And because I believe because he did that, because he prophesied and spoke a future for that kid, changed the, the narrative of that kid and spoke a positive future, we see out of Benjamin's life, generation after generation of kings and kings and kings. It is our job to look at our kids and say, let me tell you what I see in you. And I know our kids are gonna be like, oh, dad, you have to say that. Oh, mom, you have to say that. But if you don't say it, who's gonna say it? It's our job to say it, to look at them, to say, son, I'm proud of you. I believe in you. You're gonna do good things in this family. I see greatness inside of you. You're gonna do incredible things. You're gonna change the world. And I know some of you are like, well, Angel, you don't know my kid. Like, they're not, they're not good. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, Okay, well then, then find something. Son, I'm proud of you. The judge could have gave you two years, but he only gave you six months, because he can tell that you're changing. That you're changing. You know, inmate of the month, two, two months in a row, son, I'm proud of you, right? But if we don't do that, who's gonna do it? If you don't stand before God and pray for your kids, who's gonna do it? I try, I try, I, I walk around this place, and I try to envision who sits where, and I pray for as many of you as I can. You know, last week, we had almost 700 people between all three of our services. I can't remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday, much less 700 names. So it's important for you to stand before God and say, Lord, I'm, I'm not giving up on this kid. I'm going to put my hand on them. I'll pray over them. I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to speak life to them. Now, let me take some of the pressure off some of the guys. You can't do this. You can't do it on your own. 
I can't even. That's where Jesus comes in. That's the gospel. The gospel says, here's what needs to be done. You can't do it. Jesus does it for us and through us. So we're going to pray right now that God would help us to be the ideal man that our kids need. All right? And if, they, if you're a woman, you're, you're the primary, you're raising the kids, we're going to pray for you. All right? We're also going to pray over our kids. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. And I pray, Lord, first over our kids. Lord, we know that the enemy has plans for them. And we know that he wants things for them. But we reject that. We break that in the name of Jesus Christ. Every plan, every scheme of the enemy over our kids, we break that in the name of Jesus. And we proclaim, Lord, that our children are world changers and that generation after generation behind them will be fully devoted followers of Christ. We're starting that right now and we believe and proclaim that over our kids. I also pray, Lord, for every spiritual leader here. God, would you help us, Lord? Would you help us be protectors? Would you... Give us wisdom and supernatural insight into what the enemy is doing so we can protect our families. Would you give us, would you bless everyone here, Lord, so that we can be providers, so we can provide what our kids need and even some of the stuff that they want, Lord. You would allow us to bless our kids. I pray, Father, that we would be promoters like you, that we would lift up and elevate our kids, that we would be a priest, Lord, that we would stand between them and you and, and recognize our responsibility to train them up in the way they should go. And last, Lord, I pray that you would put your words in our mouths and that as we speak to those kids, Lord, we would speak life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing this last chorus with us? Your good, good Father, it's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm not It's who I am. It's who I am. to Jesus and help them walk in their faith. So if Angel's message spoke to you today and you're thinking, I want to be that good provider, that protector, and you don't know how, but you need Jesus, and you've never said this prayer before, I'm going to invite you to pray along with me, to ask Jesus to be, come into your heart. I'm going to ask that everybody pray this prayer together so that no one feels embarrassed or singled out. So if you could all close your eyes, bow your head, and please repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to die on the cross for my sins. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I need you. I ask you to wash away my sins. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. I make you number one in everything I do. Help me to serve you from this day forward. Amen. If you said that prayer for the first time today, welcome to the family.
If you said that prayer for the hundredth time, we're so glad that you're back. Uh, there's a QR code on the screen. We'd love for you to scan that and select new believer. We have just a little something we'd like to send you um, to help you along in your journey. If this is your first time, we are so glad that you're here. We'd love to know that you are visiting and we would like to send you a little something. Um, so there's also a first time visitor link up there that you can also scan. Um, I promise we're not gonna spam you or send you a bunch of emails. We just want to say hello and welcome you. Um, you may all be seated. When you walked in today, you should have gotten one of these cards. Um, Easter is coming, and that is our most favorite service here at Mosaic. We love it because uh, the house is packed. We have three services, one at eight o'clock, which is a family service, so there will be no kids church that, at that time, a 9.30 service and an 11 o'clock service. Um, so we ask you to take these cards and pass them out in the next couple of weeks. Give them to your friends, give them to your family, give them to the people that you put on the cross, the names that you put on the cross. Um, give them to your favorite barista, give them to your uh, server at the restaurant, the cashier at the grocery store. Um, we just know that when people walk through these stores, lives are changed. So we're asking you guys to pass these out and invite some people to church on Easter. Um, Easter is April 9th, so we hope to see you guys there. If you'd like to volunteer, there are um, some ta there's a table out in the foyer. You can sign up to do so because we know that what happens here on a Sunday can't happen without our dream team. Our dream team is the best. And so if you're not on the dream team but you want to serve on Easter or you're interested, um, go ahead and see the, um, the dream teamer out at the table and you can sign up for that. Also, we're doing pre-registration for Kids Church. Um, so when you checked your kids in, you should have gotten a pre-registration form. And on there, you can fill it out. That way you can skip the line on Easter, um, get your tags, and get your kids into Kids Church real quick. Um, so last, what we're going to do is wrap up with our giving. Uh, Mosaic is the most generous church I've ever known. We give away 10% just like we ask you to do. We are a part of an organization called the ARC, Association for Related Churches, and part of our donation every week goes to plant new churches. So every week you are helping new people come to the Lord. Um, there's four ways you can give. They're up on the screen. Uh, you can give in person. There's a black box outside online at greenleymosaic.com. You can text any amount to 84321 or on the Church Center app. Can you all bow your heads and pray over this morning's tithing offering? Dear God, thank you for all you do for us, Lord. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your love, God. And thank you for changing our hearts, God, to be a generous church, Lord. We know that everything we have is from you. God, I pray as this morning's tithe and offering comes through that you would multiply it and advance your kingdom, Lord. That you would bless the finances of those who give in our church, Lord, and that you would just continue to work in our lives. God, I pray as we leave today, Lord, that there would be safety among the members of Mosaic, God, that there would be good health, Lord, and that we would all be back next week. Thank you, Lord, for being such a loving God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last announcement. If you need prayer, we have a prayer team up here, so please come up and see them, and have a great Sunday.